Welcome to Span Reads, not your typical rereads podcast, a 17 shard series where we reread Brandon Sanderson's works and are giant nerds about it. Today we are talking about Cytonic. Joining me is Jesse. Hello, I am Jesse and I am a pirate today. Yar. Yar. <laughs> Ian. Hey, I'm Weary Rider. Eric. Hey, I'm Cass. And I am Mish or First Rainbow Rose. Just as a reminder, this is the last book of the series, so we will be doing full spoilers during these episodes. As such, this is our warning to viewers and listeners that there will be full spoilers for all Skyward novels, excluding Defiant, from this point forward. Oh, and, and just to be clear, we are aware that Cytonic's not the last book in the series. It's just this is the last one that's out. That's yes. The last yes. book that of the series that has been released yeah, and just, that we just can so reread. The last yeah, available book. Yes, correct. Yeah, presumably we'll do a reread of Defiant at some point in the future after it is out and we have read it more than once. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how we're doing span reads for like the new stuff. <laughs> like, what are we doing Lost Metal span reads? I, I don't, I'm not worried about it. Well, when before people are ready to read it again. Yeah, before Earth yeah, 3. Three. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Also, I realized I actually forgot to um, introduce myself. <laughs> uh, I'm Lady Lameness. Hi. Hello. To be fair, this is the second episode in this series, so theoretically, they heard you introduce yourself as Lady Lameness in the first one. Yeah, yeah. Also, three previous book span reads and every yeah. other span reads. Yeah, yeah. There I'm thinking more for the audio listeners because, like, I know my names on my my usernames on screen, but like for audio listeners, yeah. Just in case, <laughs> just in case the like only Australian on the staff, like the accent doesn't stand out. Oh, yeah, definitely yeah. not. So, Jess, I think you have some character thoughts, you particularly. Oh, uh, I have so many character thoughts that I could probably fill this episode myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, do, do we want to start with our main character, Spencer? Well, I mean, we did talk a lot about her arc in the last one. We did, but I feel like we can still talk quite a bit about, like, the specific journey she goes through in this book whereas like in the last episode i feel like we talked about her arc as a overall thing in the series so we were saying in the last episode about how this book is kind of necessary because spencer needs to go through that time period of understanding what peace could be and what she could have and having that time of like getting the things she wants with being able to fly with her friends without being killed and like being able to fight without being killed and having to make decisions herself instead of it being based on the circumstances she's in. It's really subtle in this book. And I know the first time I read it, I struggled a lot with her um, breakdown at the end of the book because it didn't feel super deserved to me. But when I reread it the first time and rereading it this time, it jumps out a lot more how exhausted she is in this book and how she is able to rest more. But that exhaustion is not like it doesn't go away. It's still there. And then it just all catches up to her at the end where she has to make the realization that currently she's living in a fantasy and she either needs to decide, well, I'm just going to forsake everything and keep living in this fantasy or I need to go back 
to like the real world. And she finally has to deal with all those emotions. She's kind of been pushing to the side yeah, and like trying to not deal with, and they all come out at once. And yeah, the first time it just didn't feel deserved. Like it just kind of came out of nowhere a little bit for me. Whereas this time it was a lot more obvious of why it came came out of nowhere. (laughs) But this time it came out of somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> it came in the nowhere <laughs> um but yeah so that that was something that jumped out specifically about spencer's emotional arc to me in this book yeah i mean when you've carried a heavy weight for a while putting it down having that chance to relax a little bit makes it that much harder to pick back up like if you're yeah. if you've ever done like a hike or something and you're exhausted if you rest it's a terrible idea yeah. versus if you just keep going sure. until you hit summit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like Spencer's been living a life where like she is always stressed, right? Like she never is outside of survival mode. She is always in um, prolonged stress. Once you finally get out of that, even if you have just an acute stress response which she kind of gets in the fight at the end with the buildings and with hesho it makes sense that she then just crashes afterwards because her body's understood how to get out of that and it's so much worse when you're not in it for a long time because you're not meant to be like the human body is not meant to be in prolonged stress like that is really bad for it but it's so much harder to deal with any stress once you finally get out of it. Yeah, yeah that is true because that is the first fight that's like there, there's the fragments attacking the other fragments. That's pretty stressful, but the star fighting is not stressful in this book until that moment and that it is very stressful. Yeah. And I think star fighting is a trigger as well. Like the fragments are stressful, but they're so unique to not only the nowhere or just like Spencer's life. Like these aren't things that happen to people all the time. Whereas Spencer has so much baggage tied up in star fighting and like losing people and it being dangerous that as soon as she gets into that battle where it finally is dangerous again, I think that kind of does trigger her in a way that the other stressful situations don't there's also the trashy romance novel mm-hmm. where the entire conflict of the book is like which of these three suitors will i take on vacation with me and spence's realization of like oh this is the story people tell when they're not fighting for their lives every single moment yeah. of their yeah existence like mm. This is how people normally act. Yeah. yeah. And you can contrast that with the stories that Spencer tells the pirates with it, like mm-hmm. the Lion King and the fact that she's, she probably told them like the whole thing, but we get the end of it where it's this giant conflict of danger and people getting hurt and people dying. And then she talks about Paradise Lust, which is also pretty destructive from my understanding. I haven't read it. And yeah. There is a very different to like a trashy romance novel where the hardest thing is who do I take on vacation? But with the Lion King retelling, 
there's a part of her narration where it's like, and then there was a bunch of romance stuff, which I don't hate as much as I used to mm. hate it. But also, I think this is the better ending. Mm. Like, mm. okay, you're getting there. Eventually, you'll find out the romance stuff is actually the better ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, she's so used to war and military and destruction and things like that, that, yeah, it kind of makes sense that she thinks the aggressive ending is the better one because... Mm. Probably all the stories that she's been told by Grand Grand, that is the better ending. Like that is the ending she gets. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And also probably the one that Grand Grand knows Spencer will pay attention to. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, because we know Grand Grand tailors the stories she tells to the listener. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, that's what I mostly wanted to talk about with Spencer, like just kind of going a little bit more into yeah. the emotional journey she goes through um, yeah. in this specific book and the, the different parts that we get to see that lead to the collimation of the breakdown she has. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. speaking of Spencer, what if we talk about Spencer and Embud's Terrible fight. <laughs> right. I'm mad at you. Wow. I forgive you. That's it. Yeah. Like it it does actually proceed in the book more. Like they do talk about it a bit more, but it's just a weird way to end Star Sight with like what feels like is going to be such a central conflict. And then even before part one ends, Mbot's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm just kooky and I'm just having fun. Then, you know, I forgive you. It's like, oh, okay. And he still has the emotions of like, he's still mad at Spencer, but it doesn't impact anything. Yeah. All he ever says is like, oh, I still feel mad at you, but I know that's, I know, know and more or less agree with why you did the thing. It was an emotional moment when near the end Mbot is talking about oh I do I do understand why you did this but mm-hmm. wouldn't it have been a lot better if they had like you know been <laughs> that actually been a conflict in the book rather than yeah I'm I'm zany wow it, to, to be fair Mbot's entire character has been woo I'm zany I know it just felt a little incongruous with the end of Star Sight, yeah. where it felt like we were going a different direction, and then that's just immediately undone. Yeah. I don't know how the book would have worked, because the book kind of requires them to be working together. Yeah, I think that must be, yeah. Like, they can't be separated, because then there's just a rogue AI going off around and, like, Okay, I would there. get killed mm. yeah. very quickly. But they could have been together and been forced to be together and it be more antagonistic rather than super friendly. And then they come back together in the end. I don't know. Yeah, it, but you still need it to be like a fun Spencer adventure book. Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of hard when she's like having a giant fight with her best friend. Yeah, I, I, I feel like that could 
have very easily gotten very frustrating very quickly. Mm. I'm now wondering if one of the previous versions had that, had a longer fight, and it just didn't work out because the readers were frustrated with it. So we have to go for. Yeah, because there's also Spencer is not mad at Mbot. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I'm sorry. She apologizes. Like there there's nothing Spencer can do at that. She can't really do anything more than that. That's true. And also she has way more important things to be dealing with than her relationship with Mbot, which is a horrible thing to say, honestly. But I mean, but that, that is kind of the the thing. Like she has other things she has to deal with, particularly at the beginning. Like she's jumped into mm-hmm. the literal nowhere. Like she doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't know if there's threats around. She's hyper vigilant of literally everything. It comes across to me like Brandon wanted to stab you at the end of Starsight and didn't really fully outline how that was going to affect this book. But I'm, I'm just going to say that that really comes across to me. And Oh, I absolutely think that's what, what happened. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's very often things in Brandon's books where he has a cool idea at the end of a book and then the next book comes and it's like, but what about that cool idea? Oh, that's not going to be a thing. Okay. I, like this book, I like Spencer and Mbot's relationship in this book as long as I just excise the part that was really excited about uh, a Spencer Mbot conflict, which never, like, barely happened. You know, mm. like, they are really good together in this book and very fun in this book. So yeah. I get all that. And I I liked the made you look thing at the end and uh, Mbot's death and things. And I'm sure we'll talk about that, Jess. But I actually have a kind of a theory of like how this was meant to work character wise for Mbot, mm-hmm. which I don't like how it was set up, but it does make it work in my head. But I first just wanted to bring up the thing that I specifically wanted to be done differently with sure. the conflict. It's less to do with Ember forgiving Spencer, but the thing that got me is Spencer is so uncaring and callous about it. Mm-hmm. And yes, she's in a dangerous situation. Yes, she needs to focus on other things. But we get absolutely nothing of, oh, he's upset with me. We need to deal with this later. Like, I, I can't deal with this now. I need to put my like feelings for like what's happening aside and like, oh, I feel bad for him, but we can't deal with this now. It's literally just, no, you're wrong in a way. And then the thing that gets me with the apology later is she apologizes but then makes it his fault and like kind of blames him for not having the emotional capacity to understand the situation, which is a terrible, terrible way to apologize to someone. Later, she apologizes to Chet about like sabotaging getting into the base in a better way with more empathy than she apologizes to Mbot. And the thing is, this does kind of make sense for Spencer, except for the the fact that she does it with Chet means she could have done it with Emma. Like she has that ability to 
be able to empathize in a bad situation where it's like, oh, I screwed up, but I need to focus on other things. And, but we just get none of that, even though we're in her head. And I just wish we had had more of that so that there was less callousness, like less coldness to the situation from Spencer's point of view. To be fair to uh, with teenagers apologizing and then turning around and making it your fault, it's a very teenager point of view. And it's a very teenager way of apologizing. That's true. And I would accept that if she doesn't have the better apology with Chet later. Like, this is not years apart. Like, she hasn't grown up that much in between them. Like, surely she can see, even if it was the right thing to do, mm-hmm. He like, someone's still upset with her. Like, she has the ability to empathize when someone's upset with her. I, I would agree. I, I do agree with you. However, teenagers... Not exactly the most consistent of people. Yeah. That's true. yeah. <laughs> I think the thing that gets me is also just even later near the end, they're finally going towards no man's land and Spencer and Mbot have a conversation and Spencer just thinks, oh, wow, I didn't even think how all this would be affecting you. Mbot. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're you're kind of not thinking about your your your. You're not thinking about there is a bit of selfishness to her like yes she does care for people but she cares for herself more and like she puts herself first and in all like kind of all situations even though she doesn't necessarily need to and she shouldn't be put first in some situations there's also an element of spencer has always thought mbot was alive even when mbot rejected that idea But at the end of the day, like he was her starship, like he was her vehicle. He was like a fun voice to like accompany her. So I can see why like her relationship with Mbot is very different from like the person walking over there that like, oh, like he's a human. He's like me. Mbot hasn't had agency and hasn't been able to move before and that sort of thing. And yeah. It's it's not quite like she views him as like the difference between a human and a like animal, mm-hmm. but there is kind of that almost human superiority complex mm-hmm. to it, mm-hmm. where she does like see him in a way as lesser because she doesn't relate him as a person, even though she thinks she's a, thinks he's alive. Yeah. I think that's all subconscious. Like she doesn't actively yeah. think about that. Oh, I do. Yeah. Think- I think this is oh, all subconscious. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, do you want to hear my theory of like what is going on with the whole Mbot situation and why he like forgets her so quickly? Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, like we get at the end that like Mbot's kind of gone on this journey in the background by himself of understanding his emotions, like trying to figure out what to do in certain situations, making decisions by himself. And at the end, like he comes to the decision of like, no, I want to go back to the somewhere. And that was something he did completely by himself. Like he didn't ask for help. He didn't ask for Spencer's opinion. He didn't ask Chet for his opinion. He just came to that idea himself, even though there's other points in the book where he does ask like, but what would you do in this case? Or like, how do I deal with this? And I think what it's meant to be is Mbot's story in this is him learning how to deal with emotions and have emotional maturity 
And at the beginning, he's basically like the Delver that comes in to the nowhere. He has all of these emotions, but he is a literal baby who does not understand emotional regulation. He Mm. doesn't know how to deal with them. So all he knows is, well, I don't know what to do, but Spencer's my friend, so I'll just forget it. Because it's easier to just push those emotions away and let it go when you don't understand how to process things. And then the story is that Ember learns how to process things. The problem I have with this is that you need to know the ending to understand the beginning for that to kind of make sense and for that to not just be Ember randomly forgives her and like that to actually be some reasoning behind it. And I really don't like that. Like, I don't think that's foreshadowing to me. That's just, you need to know the end to understand the beginning and like for it to be a good story. And I don't like that type of storytelling, even though I think it does explain Embo's actions. But yeah, I think it's what you guys were saying where Brandon wanted a thing at the end of Starsight and didn't really think on how to follow it through in the next book and then try to justify it throughout the book, but didn't set it up to be justified. I'm trying to remember back to my first read of this because I I didn't have a huge issue with this from what I'm remembering. And I, I think the explanation I came up with was that as a computer program, that's what AI are like. Mbot relied on logic, so he tried to resolve mm. resolve it with logic. It's like, okay, yes, Spencer's actions here were logical. That means they were right, and so he forgives her. Yeah, but that doesn't resolve with his emotions. Yeah, and he keeps looping back to that of like, I'm still mad. I understand it's the logical thing. I'm still mad. Yeah. How do I like emotionally deal with this? I totally get that because I understand that. Like there's so many times I feel like I logically understand this thing. I know what it's meant to be. Like I know that this is right. I'm still so upset about it. And I don't So basically your emotions. thoughts on Cytonic the book. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. For, for me, it's really more that, like, I was promised a different thing at the end of Starsight that, like, I don't yeah. really care yeah. what the rationalization is because you shouldn't have set it up if this is what you were going to do with it. Like, yeah. I, I just don't care. Again, expectations versus, like, reality. Who wrote the expectations? <laughs> Who gave me that expectation? Go watch our cytonic predictions cast were like oh this is gonna be such a big deal and things not even oh, yeah. a little i'm bit. pretty sure i was like oh i'd love an mbot going evil arc yeah that would have been cool that sounds like you <laughs> yeah i love a soft boy that goes evil we know this <laughs> <laughs> to slip right over from you know mbot's emotional state into the ending uh, where we get stuff with Embod's emotional state. And he does the whole made you look thing that Spencer did to him earlier. Of that. And then he flies off into the sunset and gets pummeled by the Delvers and 
dies. <laughs> um, and that's how they can get out, right? Like, he sacrifices himself so that they can leave and get back to detritus. And I know that there are different views on this. Like, people have read this very differently. This hit me so hard emotionally the first time. Like, I couldn't get through the chapter properly because I was crying so much because I legitimately thought Brandon had just killed our second main character. Mm-hmm. And this time I had a very similar reaction, honestly. Like I was listening to it on audiobook and it was just so emotional. And I was having all of those like, oh no, he's going to die emotions again. And was like on the edge of tears while I'm at work. So, you know, that's always great. But I knew that he doesn't die. And like this part of me that was just so mad, even though I'm getting all of these emotions about like this chapter, because it really felt like this chapter was set up to make you feel those emotions and to make you feel that grief. And then the literal next chapter, it's like, oh no, don't worry, he's still alive. And I know that there's lines in um, the chapter where Ember flies off, where is he like kind of comments on, oh, that's how they do it when Chet like tries to sacrifice himself, because you know, it happens with Chet as well. And then Spencer making the promise of, no, I'll come back for you. But in the next chapter, she thinks he's dead. Like, she says that she thinks he's dead. And Chet has to say, no, no, he's still alive. And then Spencer realizes, oh, Mbot realized what Chet was doing, so Mbot did what Chet did. So now Mbot is alive and I can keep my promise. But it just takes so much away from me. I feel so many emotions when characters I care, like really care about are hurt or die. And it just feels like it's then just wrapped in cotton wool. It's like, oh no, don't worry. You didn't need to feel that. And I feel a little bit betrayed when it happens. And like, I definitely had it for M, but I realized later that it does kind of happen for Chet as well. But definitely for Embot, because we had it in Starsight, and then we have it again in Cytonic. So that's my rant. That's my rant about Embot's death. Uh, I, I know other people read it differently, and that is totally fine. There are many different interpretations of this, but I did not like what I think is a fake out death. It, this rant never gets old to me, Jess. I've heard it so many times uh, in our marriage. Just, just like, mm, just. I just love hearing it every time. Brandon has a hard time killing off good characters. <laughs> yeah. And he has like this theme of bringing them back very quickly as well. Not to go into other series and books, but apparently that is also a thing in other series where it's like a super quick turnaround. And like, I think it's a bit different if there's like some space in between, because then you get that period where like you as the reader are allowed to grieve and mourn for that character. And then if they come back, like, yeah, maybe you still don't like the resurrection, but then like you've had that period where you can go through and process those emotions. And it's not just like a slap in the face of no you didn't need to feel that while you're having the emotions <laughs> so 
I'm going to say I agree with you. I don't. Oh. There needs. Hold your horses. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. Like, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> You're not going to like where they're said. <laughs> I'm setting expectations. I'm going to start agreeing with you and then I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. I agree that when a character dies, if they end up returning, I don't want it too quickly. However, if you can get the resurrection close enough that I never have, then it, it just like it goes the other way of like, so we got the reveal that Mbot was alive so close to his death that I didn't even register the death. Right? <laughs> like, I'm actually in that camp of I don't mourn characters at the time of their death. Usually it's not until after the fact that I mourned their death. Like there's a book series and I won't name it, but in the first part of the book, the main character's best friend died. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end of the book, the ghost is able to interact with the main character. And at the time in part one, and you care about this character by the time that they die, you really do. Then uh, at the time it was like, oh, well, that's shocking and sad. And there's a funeral and, you know, you're like, okay, yeah, this is sad. But the scene at the end when the ghost is able to interact with the main character, I was bawling my eyes out for like a half hour while I listened to the audiobook and I've listened at 2.5 speed, so I listen to things quickly, but I was still bawling my eyes out for like a half hour of this interaction. So for me, if a character dies and then is resurrected really quickly, I don't mourn their death. It's just kind of like a, yep, they're not around anymore. Oh, look, yeah. they're back. It just for makes me. me wonder, what's the point of it, though? Like, if you're going to kill them and bring them back immediately, why did you kill them to begin with? Like, what was your purpose? Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's like, we need to get out of the stressful period for me, for, like, the death to, like, stick. It's like in D&D. If you, during the fight, if you go down to zero hit points and fail all your death saving throws, like, and you get revivified, you're right back up. All of the other resurrection magics like take too long and have to happen outside of that, outside of combat. So a death that happens during combat and is you're revivified, not as impactful as like when at the end of the fight you're still dead. See, if we were working with a magic system that had abilities to revive people from the dead, that's a very different thing. <laughs> So they're all storytelling mechanics. Yeah. I will say that I have both of the um, mm -hmm. things that you guys have said about, like, I do get very emotional for characters that I love that are dying, like, during the death scene. But characters I don't care about quite as much, it hits me when other people are mourning them. So, like, Skyward was the big one. I didn't care very much about Bim and Morning Tide or Hurl the first time I read the How book, whereas now Morning Tide is my my girl. And it like I didn't care about their deaths. And then everyone else started mourning them, and I'm like, now you're all sad, so I'm sad. So I have some thoughts on Mbot's death, because uh, though I find your uh, rant here to be completely hilarious every single time, 10 mm -hmm. out of 10, 
Uh, I completely disagree because Mbot's uh, death and resurrection works great for me. I have no complaints at all about it. I can see why you wouldn't like it, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think there's something about Mbot taking the agency to make that choice on his own that is still really affecting even if he comes back. Like, I think that's that's the thing that he made a critical choice. And it's a good thing that he worked out the thing to that. He doesn't need a housing that worked out great. But I don't think that was the essential part. Like, I think the choice was the important part. Yeah, we really needed like everything with the Delvers and like how they made themselves Delvers for it to make sense and mm -hmm. like brandon does set it up yeah. so you can follow along and be like okay the delvers like we we have the vision with the delvers this is how they turn themselves into delvers and then chet turns back into a delver and Embot notices how so because he is an ai and ais are delvers he now knows how to do it so it does all like logically make sense it, it's just like the way it's written that i don't like more than anything yeah. i think also brandon overuses the resurrection trope well, and every true. time he does it now it just kind of irks me more and more because he does it so much so that doesn't help that that definitely doesn't help for me, I felt the sadness of Mbot dying and didn't mind that he came back. And I, I don't know why I mm -hmm. can distinguish those, but I really didn't mind that he came back. I guess also because I'm not convinced Brandon's killing any character. I, I guess that's a, 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 <laughs> an inherent sort of thing. But I still felt really sad that he died. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. I guess it worked for me. Usually Brandon's stuff and... His endings just really work for me. So I suppose that's not particularly surprising. But An interesting thing that also happens at the end that I don't quite know how to tie this in, but I feel like it's tied in somehow, is the drone and how like Ember leaves part of himself in the drone so that he can experience death mm. and understand what it feels like. And I don't quite understand how to like fit this into the puzzle that is Embot turning into a Delver instead of dying, but it feels like it should be part of it. And, and I kind of like that he did that mm -hmm. to understand and then yeah, doesn't actually die, but he knows what death feels like. I, I think I have something for you, which is Embot saw the trick of how Chet did did the thing but that was after the drone went out i think that yes. was after the drone okay. yeah so at that point he didn't know how to do it so i can kind of see it as him preparing himself like i don't know if we're going to get out of this here is uh the control experiment i have a logical ai i'm going to like <laughs> test case i'm going to beta test death see how bad it is <laughs> but i also think that helps him make the decision to go and sacrifice himself yeah because like okay death isn't as bad as i thought it could be yeah if this doesn't work if i can't replicate what chet just did i am okay sacrificing myself yeah i'm gonna try and turn into a delver entity but if i can't yeah i go into this with full knowledge of what i'm getting into 
I really like that. Like, I really, really like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's also the thing about, um, it seems very much like Ember is colluding with Doomslug as well to do this. I don't know how, but they seem to be able to talk to each other because Doomslug's the one that tells them to land, right? And I do think she was doing that to try and hide the ship, but I think there must have been something else going on for Ember to then be able to capitalize on it if he was going to try and do this, because they have to get out of the ship for him to do that. And the only way to do that really is for them to land. And like Doomslug's the one that tells them not Ember. I don't see collusion there. Me okay. either. I, I think it's just Embot took the chance that the situation they were in. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's pivot and talk about other characters. Yeah. Let, why don't we? Why don't we talk about Chet, uh, our uh, Delver friend? I can't say I love the the. British explorer vibes. It just really feels so strongly like a yes. Yeah. yeah. Like I just it was an interesting choice, I'll say. Um I like Jim. I thought he I think he's fun. It took me a while. I think the part where I started liking it was when Spencer thought she couldn't trust him and he just says, Was I not a good adventuring partner and i was like ooh brutal i like that mm-hmm. because knowing that he's the delver right mm-hmm. he he just wants to help spencer right uh and mm-hmm. so that was quite brutal but i guess it just like felt so strongly cliche that it was a lot <laughs> you know yeah it's in theory i like the character concept of somebody who doesn't remember who they are and it's they're literally just a character persona that (laughs) they're embodying like i i like that idea the character persona they chose to embody (laughs) i'm like meh i must be the weird one out because i thought he's fun i like him like i i do think he's fun he's just Mm -hmm. he's just at like a 12 out of 10 and i'm just i just like need you to tone it down into like an actual person and not just this idea which obviously brandon's Sir, going for that it's kind of attaching to this idea point, no i i the get it but he's meant to veer over the top because i know he but it's annoying just it's annoying and it is a lot okay yeah. it's 12 out of 10 in the wrong direction for me yeah. okay yeah I, it's just nigel thornberry <laughs> I don't vibe with it. <laughs> or, or it's like that NPC in Jumanji, you know, who yeah, uh, the Welcome yeah. to the Jungle, where he's he's like listing off all the what they need to do and just repeats it. It's like you're just an NPC, man. This is weird. Maybe I have a little bit more sympathy because I ended up being that over the top person in my teenage years. I was. Mm-hmm. I am glad nobody here knew me in high school let's just put it that way look high school is not a real place that never happened for any of us right let's all just have collective amnesia about it it's fine and also there's many ways of being over the top some of them are fine (laughs) 
I would like to say I was fine in high school, and I don't know what's wrong with the rest of you. <laughs> I liked high school. My high school years were good. Uh, I can't was relate. painter in high school, so I don't want to think about that. <laughs> I decided that humans suck, and I didn't want to be a human anymore, and declared myself one of the fae. I, I mean, you would fit in right now with all the trends going on, so it, it's not that weird. True, but at the time, not so much. Yeah, the time—it's just the time period was wrong. You were in the wrong time period. I'm always in the wrong time period. So with chat, I have like, <laughs> I have a very similar thing to what I had with Embut, where it makes a lot of sense what he's acting like the entire way through. Mm-hmm. Once you know the ending, that he's a Delver that is the devil from Starside, and he's, like, trying to help Spencer. And again, I don't like that you need to know the ending for kind of everything else to be enjoyable. <laughs> like, I didn't hate Chet, but he was a lot. But I think that was the point, because we have a Delver that has just kind of become self-aware and doesn't know how to be a person. So the Delver finds the first person in Spencer's memory that has been in the nowhere. So he takes basically just the outline of that person and the top parts of every part of that person's personality, which means Chet was actually like this as well. Mm-hmm. Because... yeah. Yeah. Delva Chet does not understand how to actually act like a person. So he's just acting like actual Chet was. So actual Chet was like this That's as well. Bonkers that that was what Commander Spears turned into. I, it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So sure. <laughs> it makes sense that he's like this. And all the things he says make more sense when you know he's a Delver. But it doesn't feel like foreshadowing to me. It feels like. You need to understand the end for it not to just be too much. I think that's true. I think the foreshadowing that does work for me really well is Chet and the Path of Elders. It's like, why did you never go on the Path of Elders? I was scared to. And like that, I think, is the strong foreshadowing there for the Delverness. But it it doesn't explain the the personality is not foreshadowing it, really. It, It just makes sense. And I think the personality is not meant to be foreshadowing. Mm. I think it's more meant to be like the danger of forgetting yourself in the nowhere. Mm. Mm. And it just so happens that he's not a real person. He's a a Delver pretending to be a person who is a person. (laughs) Because Delvers are people too. (laughs) I think I actually disagree with that, um, just because there are some things that Chet says in this book that when you reread, you're like, oh, yeah, that's because he's a Delver Mm -hmm. that he's saying this. And you can read it very much in the way that, oh, he's acting this way because he's a Delver or you don't notice it. Like it, it works both ways. But knowing he's a Delver, some of these things hit so much harder. They do. Like. Mm When Spencer tells Chet, oh, I betrayed you and like didn't trust you, he is so upset. And that makes sense. Like anyone would be upset. But I think knowing he's a Delver and he's the Delver that Spencer reached out to yeah. with friendship in the last book yeah. 
And now she's treating him with suspicion. She doesn't trust him. And he's basically just found her immediately and latched on because he doesn't know what else to do. And she's the only person who has acted kindly towards him. She's suddenly rejecting him. Brutal. That hurts so much more. Knowing yeah, he's a Delver. It really did. I gave up all of my friends for you and this is how you're going to treat me? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you were so nice to me and now now you don't like me anymore. And what did I do wrong? And like, that's kind of yeah. what he's asking. It's like, what did yeah. I do wrong? I've tried so hard I, I did everything to you be asked. the person you Spoiler wanted alert. to give you what you wanted. Yeah, spoiler alert. It's because you pretended to be a completely different person and she doesn't know you're the same person. <laughs> spoiler that alert. That might have a little honest, bit to do with it. Maybe, maybe, you know. But still, I, I yeah. agree. It was That was such a brutal moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that really hurt. And there is another bit a bit later, which I, I don't have the specifics for, but Chet's kind of talking about the nowhere and about how the Delvers work. And it's so clear when you know he's a Delver that he knows all of this because he's a yes, Delver. Yeah, I think that was the thing that I was thinking of with like, oh, yeah, he knows these things yeah. just because he's a Delver. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I do want to point out is that it gets revealed eventually, like the Path of Elders is the complete fabrication. Like, yes, the, the portals have memories, but there wasn't a formal path that people did. Yep. However, that first gets mentioned when Chet is still Delver. in Delver mode yep. before Spencer manifests in the nowhere. Yep. I'm like, that was an awful quick lie that you just came up with. Yep. I'm like, yeah, yep, he sure did. So there was one more thing I wanted to bring up with Chet before we move on, but it's to do with like Chet and the Delvers together. Okay, because I think. The Delphins aren't just trying to find Spencer in the nowhere. They're trying to find Chet as well. Absolutely. Right? Like they're trying to take him back mm. and reabsorb him so he mm. is not different because that is causing them a lot of problems. And I noticed after they go to the first Path of Elders shrine thing, and then the island like comes at them and is trying to kill them and they get away. The Delver that's close by starts saying, What did you do to the us? Yep. And mm -hmm. it made me wonder if Spencer had found her way there by herself, whether the Delvers would have still sent the other island towards the portal and tried to kill her. Because I think them being together and going to that portal alerted the Delvers to where Chet was as well. I don't think they could find him before that. Yeah. And I think them saying, like, what did you do to the us is talking about how they're now working together and he is being so separate to them and they, they just don't understand. But I think that was the point that they actually found Chet in the nowhere. I think I he was really hiding before that. And I really liked that. All that stuff with the Delvers on a reread went really well for me. What, what did you do to the awesome? Like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense with all that's going on here. Yeah, because like yeah. from their perspective, they're trying to save Chet from this evil, like this fiend that has corrupted yeah. their friend. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, Spencer is the enemy. She is the villain to them. I don't know if that's where they figured out about Chet, because there was the earlier Delver possession where mm-hmm. I think they got eyes on Chet. I think Chet could hide from them if he was out of sight. But if they ever saw him, like they knew, mm-hmm. hey, that's yeah. the us. I do think the Delver at the very beginning, though, was more to do with Spencer than it was to do with Chet. And it was just kind of coincidental that they knew where Chet was because he happened to also be there. It it seemed more urgent after that first Path of Elders thing. And it did really seem Mm -hmm. like they wanted to get Chet for sure. So Jess, do do you want to go to... I know we've had some great Jess rants, but I, I I think this one is the one that tops all of them. And so I do, do you want to talk about your favorite character that came back? Yeah, this is the Jess show today. Like that that's what this <laughs> episode is. We should just call it that. Yeah. Uh so I'm just going to go with the note that I wrote down <laughs> when I read this chapter. And Hesho Wow, you're is gonna alive. make me believe it. Yeah, Yeah, I know. I I did that on purpose. I know. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) The one death we get in Starside, the one thing that makes it feel like there's any stakes, doesn't matter because he's still alive on a technicality. Because if you go back and read Starside, they don't say he's dead. Oh, no, sorry. They do say he's dead because they think he's dead. But technically, he, like, slipped out into the into space. And yeah. was. I think people have theorized that he was, like, taken through to the nowhere by the Delver because they were close by or something. <laughs> and that's how he survived. But his crew literally thinks he's dead. I hate this so much that this upset me the most in this book i think even with emma's death like i was so angry with this because i was so excited to know who was in that spaceship (laughs) because i was convinced it was someone we knew why would it be a random person it has to be someone we know it's probably someone from the book of starsight but i didn't think it would be the character that dies (laughs) i i think my favorite lame part of the justification for Hesho coming back is Spencer just thinking, I mean, there was a lot of weird Cytonic stuff in that battle. That's it. <laughs> like, how? Okay, sure. It's just, it was the most weak-ass justification ever, it feels like. Like, you could have killed anybody else in Starside. Anybody else. And, like, had Hesho get to the nowhere some other way. Mm-hmm. Or, or just make it clear that they don't know if he's dead. He just disappeared. Yeah, for me, <sighs> the issue here lies in Starsight, not in Cytonic. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, <laughs> Which does make me wonder, did Brandon always plan for Hesho to be here? I actually don't think he did. I don't, I think, don't so. think he planned for Hesho to come back. I don't back. think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he thought he was dead. Who else did we have on the team? Like, there was Hesho and his crew. There was Moriyuma, who very clearly was a one book character. Uh, mm-hmm. There was Vapor, who is who I thought was going to be and in the Spencer spaceship. even thinks it. Like, yeah. it could be a figment, and, which would be awesome. 
and there was Brain, who we know is working with Winzik. So is something going to happen with Vapor? <laughs> is, is she, like, coming back at another point? Because this seemed like the point to bring Vapor in. No, we have to bring back Dark Shadow, Edgy Mitch McEdgelord, yeah. uh, Fox Gerbil, and it- the Masked Exile. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> I find it hilarious that we have both Dark Shadow and Nightshade in the same series. It's very funny to me. Uh, I'm sure Hesho and Z Nightshade would get along great together, I'm sure. I think there's just some things in this book that are maybe a little over the top, and I can kind of forgive Chet because that is what Brandon is going for. I still don't like it, really. Like, he's too much for me. But did we really need Dark Shadow edgy <laughs> Okay. Like, I didn't mind him after the Battle of Sherhold. It was just the pirate champion and then just, I don't know, there's a bunch of weird cytonic stuff in that battle. Okay. <laughs> to be fair, if you have two characters that have completely forgotten themselves, quote unquote, and they're both extreme, like, caricatures of what they think they should be, that kind of supports the concept that when you completely forget yourself, you turn into a caricature. I mean, Spencer yeah. would certainly turn into a caricature of a bloodthirsty barbarian for sure. Right. Like that's exactly what she'd be. I get that. That's all true. I think that's just making me think amnesia plots are not that good. <laughs> oh yeah. Amnesia plots suck. <laughs> like, okay. I'm going to say that. They're, they're... I hate them. Yeah. I have the other thing. An amnesia oh. plot that's good. Yeah. I feel like I have read one, but I can't remember it off the top of my head, which, you know, is kind of ironic. So it wasn't that good. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing I had about Hesho is I guess I must have just misread his character in Starsight. But in Starsight, I thought he was like this perky, happy, jolly character with the way he acted. And then in Cytonic, he is like the most solemn monotone person oh absolutely and that's, that's how a total... it came across to me yeah and i just i hated that complete change in personality because it feels like that's what's gonna be pulled into the future but maybe i just misread what he was meant to be like in star side maybe i just attributed his personality wrong i don't, I don't know like so. this might just be a me thing but I thought Hesha was a different character for most of the book when he was there. He just acted so differently. I don't think he's a jolly character per se, but he's not as solemn and as edgy. Edgy, yeah. I think he had his moments of solemnity in Starsight and yeah. in forgetting all of his memories. It's like, it's not like all parts of his personality were part of the caricature it's like part of it became the caricature Mm -hmm. that that's what makes the caricature it was one aspect of hesho that got blown out of proportion and everything else went away yeah because at the end he really seems to be like that stoic warrior like that's really Mm -hmm. uh associated with um ancient japan culture and samurai and things like that and that's just not how i saw hesho absolutely not so I actually want to relate this back to Chet, which is 
I guess the original chat forgot yes. everything yeah. and crafted a personality based off of the stories he remembered. Like Chet, the name came from a story character that I think Hesho went back to like, Kitson plays and all of that and like mm-hmm. Kitson dramas and poetry. Cause it's like uh, the masked exile is like, Oh, they'll understand what this means. It's a reference to this, the old play. Mm. I think it's Dark Shadow comes from a different literary tradition. And that's just how things work. Yeah, that's that's yeah, yeah sure. Sure, for sure. Anyway, I, I do really think that Hesha's character feels very different. And I, I also like the shout out that Winzik was saying to the Delver. It's like, man, even in Detritus and uh, Star Sight, you didn't kill a single Cytonic. I'm like, I know. <laughs> Don't worry, I know. Thanks for pointing it out. We're aware. We're aware. I am interested to see how Hesho kind of fits into the narrative going forward because Spencer now has Doomslug as a sapient character from what she's found at the end of this book. She has Embot as well. And now she's got Hesho is also following her around. And we're going to have all of Skywood fly back. So how does he fit into this narrative? I, I just kind of want to see what he's doing. Don't forget does Chet. Go- she merged with Chet too. Oh so. yeah, that's, that's Chet. Yeah, like she, <laughs> she's got a lot going on in terms of people to manage. Yes. Spencer has become a flight in and of herself. <laughs> Her one ship is an entire flight. <laughs> to be fair, that's I the assume- next flight uh, flight school in the next book is just Spencer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be fair, I assume that Hesho will end up just being returning to the Kitson and they'll be like, our Lord is back. Yay. Well, that's hmm. not I what he says at the end of this book. Spencer. He says like, they're doing fine without me. I'm yeah. going to stay here. Oh, yeah. Let them know I'm alive, but I'm not going back. So we, we've we've been chatting and or ranting for a while. Uh, how how much do we want to talk about the the new characters we got in this book with uh, I mean, with our fl- with our new flights? Let's let's do it of a few of them. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of forgettable when you really think about them. I like Peg. Peg is about the only one that is memorable. I like the residents because the residents are cool. Yeah. And I think it's clear that they're coming back at some point because Spencer made a promise to come back and at least get Zizzle out because how the nowhere is affecting Zizzle. So I think they're going to be relevant. Yeah. But yeah, I, I remembered the yeah. resonance. I completely forgot that Maxim existed <laughs> in like, the first part <laughs> when there's the mention of, oh, the broadsiders have a human. What? They have a human? That was my notes. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I, I don't remember, remember that. Maxim existed. I forgot um, the Varvax existed. Ah, uh, Nebula. Oh. Uh, Nebula. Yeah. yeah. I really liked her. I don't think she was necessary. No. I, I, I think she was there to kind of round out the storyline of Spencer's prejudice against the mm-hmm. Favax. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, I do think it could have been cut to make the book a bit shorter yeah. and mm-hmm. to cut out the number of characters. Even though she was a lovely character, There's I liked her backstory. Absolutely. I, I think she 
fit into the team really nicely, but I do think she was unnecessary. I did like the scene where Spencer goes and apologizes for her Mm -hmm. prejudice and Nebula going is like, wow, like, thank you. Like, you're very mature, very wise. Like, I don't know if I could have done the same and kind of like giving props to Spencer. Mm Yeah, it, it's a good scene to show Spencer's growth. Yeah, like definitely. I, I I took notes on that scene specifically, saying how much I like Spencer's growth from that. Yeah, there's, there's a joke about Peg's growth with the tree. So just you can you can <laughs> can grow a mullen. Yes, <laughs> I I did really like Peg. Peg Peg was a cool character. I also love the. The peg leg joke of yeah. Maxim just going like, she doesn't understand it. Just let it go. <laughs> <laughs> They're present. Um, but man, I, I do love Brandon's wacky aliens, though. The resonance are super cool. Yeah. 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 Getting more types of aliens was really fun, uh, particularly mm-hmm. knowing Jancy is doing more books after this. So we can explore different aliens a lot more. Yeah. Because we also got the Hecklo, which are like the bird yep, aliens. The birds, yep. And the uh, Tanzandarian, which are like the red pandas. Oh, yeah. There were the red pandas. But there was like one. It's like there was one named one, but like we didn't really was interact that with Zed, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think oh, that was okay. a red panda. And we did technically get the uh, centipede slash dinosaur that we never got a name for, but is presumably some sort of alien. That Chen oh, rides in on? Yes, but like that's like a, a pack animal. It's not a sentient. No, and we it, did get did, a name. We did get a name because that was a yeah. Yeah, we got a name for that. Yeah, did we? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was very memorable. I, clearly, I, <laughs> we don't remember <laughs> the name of it. I listened to this book very quickly. <laughs> mm-hmm. I look. I am just finally glad to have Tanasi because yeah. for you defending Elysium people, the Tanasi incident. That's like one of the ye old aliens in this setting, and we finally get to see them. And yeah, yep. it's it's yeah. kind of weird, but I, I like it. I, give me weird mm-hmm. alien stuff. It's wacky. So, and there's still aliens that have mentioned. I think in Starsight that we've never met because there was the three kind of higher races that did more drone stuff and. The Tensai were one of them. Yes. Because we hadn't met yep. them. And I think there was two others. I think Heckler was remember. one of the other ones. I think oh, we have Heckler most of them now. One, yeah. yeah, I think we have most of them now. Yeah. Um, but so. still, more aliens is definitely yeah. fun. Um, but yeah, after the way the books have gone, it, it's hard to want to connect to these characters because like, I don't think they're coming back. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Maybe there will be a something, but I... Yeah. I'm not convinced we will see them again, except for the resonance. Yeah, true. Oh, I will just shout again. I love the Spencer Jorgen relationship. I think it's evolving very nicely in this book. I yeah. think it's very cute yep. and actually is a Brandon romance. That's like, it was really working for me in this book, actually. Yeah. Like I thought it was very cute and believable. To round out the characters that are really in this book that we want to focus on. I just wanted to mention Braid because I was, I don't know why, but the way she is physically described in one of the interludes in like interlude three, I think 
she's really muscular and i'm like okay i'm into that <laughs> my, my notes were just my notes were wow braid is muscular and hot and then like that emote of like the red face with the, the sweat and the top yes. <laughs> i'm looking forward to more braid like it, it's clear that she is going into the next book, 100%. right? And she is going to be the foil to Spencer. Mm. I want to know what that is. That's been really interesting. And I, I, in the same way that I like that the Jorgen Spencer has been kind of drips and drabs in this book, I think that's built that relationship up really well. I think only having small interactions with Braid in this book has helped to build the tension between them because we don't really know what's going to happen next but we know something's going to happen next yeah fair so with you talking about jorgen and spencer and the drip relationship and how it works for you and stuff that reminds me of jesse's uh <laughs> rant that she has about brandon and relationships okay i have one last rant it it's more than this book and it does involve cosmic spoilers so if you don't want cosmic spoilers up to and including the stormlight 5 sample chapters that are out oh and uh and up to the lost metal so pretty much all of mistborn all of uh stormlight if you haven't read those and don't want spoilers then don't listen to the section but mm -hmm. i have noticed a pattern by rereading this book. And it actually kind of starts with Spencer and Mbot's fight. And I've noticed also in The Lost Metal, we get Milan and Wayne, and it goes, what, six years in between, and they just break up. We get nothing from their relationship. And Spencer and Ember, we get nothing from the fight. It just goes straight to the resolution. And then in the Stormlight preview chapters, we get the Hoyden Yasna chapter. And in Rhythm of War, we are introduced to Hoyden Yasna as a couple. And now it seems almost like they're very close to breaking up. And again, we get nothing in between. And it's kind of coming up as this pattern for me that Brandon is kind of cutting out the middle bits of relationships. And I know that in general, most people would probably agree that relationships is Brandon's weakest writing point. Like, he's getting much better at it, but his romances are the lowest points of books a lot of the time. And this kind of just ties into that for me, that we're not getting the conflicts that are actually within a close relationship and I don't know why. I don't know if he just doesn't want to write them or if he just wants to get straight to the resolution, but it leaves me feeling very unsatisfied because I love seeing relationship conflict and between characters that are really close. That's the whole point of like having characters in a book, right? You want to see the tension between them or stuff that happens with them. You, you don't want to just skip to the resolution. That's not satisfying. You need to build up to it in the same way that you want that foreshadowing so that when you get to Brandon's endings and everything clicks together, it's this massive reveal that you, that you go, wow, I didn't notice all the foreshadowing, but it's there. It's like that, but without the foreshadowing. We're just skipping everything in the middle. So 
that was the last rant I wanted to have because rereading this book, I noticed it again with Spencer and Mbot, and now that we've had it with a couple of other books, it's coming up as a theme for me. It's probably, I talked to Brandon once about, like, I think it was the wedding, um, Shalon and Adolin's wedding, and I asked him about why we didn't see it, because we don't ever see weddings in Brandon's book. And he said, people don't want to read the boring parts. People don't want to read normal. And the middle is the boring and the normal. But I fully disagree with Brandon's logic there, because that does not need to be the normal at all. And I think a lot of people are very invested in the actual relationship between characters and seeing big scenes like the Shalon Adelin wedding. I think a lot of people would have liked that considering how many people think that it was cut from the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're dealing with character conflict, I feel like you do need to like have a bit of the slow burn. This entire book of Cytonic is a lot of slow burn character stuff. You can you can just do more of that. I don't know. Like to be fair, it's also a very disliked book, partly because it is a lot of the slow character burn. I don't think that's the problem with the book, though. Yeah, I don't think that's the thing that people necessarily dislike about this book. Like, the slowness, yes, but I don't think it's like the slow burn of the character work that people dislike. Yeah, I think people generally like the character work, I think. But to use, like, The Lost Metal as an example and Wayne and Milan, we see them get together in Bands of Mourning, and we get absolutely nothing from their relationship because they immediately break up and maybe i just read too many books that actually follow characters through their relationships and the things that happen to them but man was that so disappointing to me we saw absolutely nothing of how they interacted what they were like together like how they were as a couple how they interacted it it was just immediately no i i have to go on an adventure and we need to break up because i feel things differently to you it's hard to feel sad about it you know right because it's just just, there's no build-up right and i do think brandon just isn't interested in writing it right it's like a character who dies in chapter one it's like okay like i don't know enough about this character to mourn them Cool. We don't know enough about these relationships tomorrow. Yeah. It's like, um, I don't remember his name, the character in Stormlight, who in Kaladin's chapter, like you Sam. kind of, I thought he, yeah, I thought he was the main character and that he was not the main character at all. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I just didn't care about him to the point that I didn't remember his name. Yep. Any other thoughts anybody wants to share? Nope. nope. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for indulging me. And thank you for watching. You can find us at 17char.com for all the news, discussion, theories, and fun you could ever want. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud. You can leave us a review on iTunes. You can subscribe on YouTube. And you can also support us on Patreon. See you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.